Welcome to the podcast of Christ Covenant Church, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, located in the township of Langley, British Columbia. My name is Gary Vanderveen, and I'm the senior pastor here. If you would like to know more about our congregation, please visit us online at www.langleychurch.org. So we have been looking at Psalm 51. Uh, we've been looking at the nature of Christian repentance through the lens of Psalm 51. And we've been asking uh, the question, our questions, what is repentance? What does repentance do? Uh, what does repentance or how does repentance make us feel? What is Christian repentance? And we, we've seen uh, briefly by way uh, of summary that, that repentance cries out for pardon and forgiveness, uh, verses 1 through 9. Repentance cries out for cleansing and restoration, cleansing of heart, restoration of joy, verses 10 through 12. And now this morning in verses 13 to 19, we want to see how repentance actually has an outward direction. It has an outward concern. Uh, for repentance also cries out for the salvation and protection of other believers. And so uh, we want to look at that um, this morning, right? What, what, if you can think about it this way, re repentance isn't just a one, one step. Repentance actually is a process. There are multiple steps here. And, and so this morning, we want to look at what David's next step is. David has been forgiven. David has been cleansed. David has been restored to fellowship with God. So what's left for him to do? What's the next step in Christian uh, repentance? And the answer, of course, is that since our sin is never simply a private matter, my repentance always involves others. My repentance always involves a concern for others, a desire to bless others. So let's look at these remaining verses. And the first thing I want us to notice in, in verse 13 is that repentance compels me to testify or bear, uh, to testify of or bear witness to God's grace. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So repentance creates a renewal of purpose, a desire uh, to bless others, to bless others uh, by my testimony. As long as David was living with unconfessed sin, uh, he was robbed of the joy of the Lord. As long as David was living with unconfessed sins, his, he felt as though his bones uh, were crushed. And, and as long as David was living with unconfessed sin, he felt that he was of no value to the, the broader community. And indeed, he, he, he had nothing to contribute. Uh, he couldn't contribute because... His sin had actually paralyzed him. David writes of this also in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, that is when I lived with this unconfessed sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
David was groaning in pain and agony in anguish over his sin. And if you know anything about a, a, a groaning man, a man living with pain, he, he, he is unable to care about others. Uh, he's just concerned about his own struggle. Um, but as soon as David repented of his sin, his mouth was set free, his lips were, were set free, and he used them to proclaim the glory of God's grace. And so repentance impels David to, to teach transgressors God's ways. Okay, so having experienced God's grace in his life, David is now able to bear witness to others about God's grace. Okay? And it's not simply a head knowledge. It's not like David simply has read the Bible. Of course, he, he did. And, uh, and, and he's able now to articulate in a very biblical, biblically robust way the doctrine of repentance. No, David is now able to speak to transgressors because he himself is a sinner who has confessed his sin, and he knows what it is to sin. He knows what it is to repent. He knows what it is to be forgiven. He knows what it is to walk in the joy of the Lord. And he wants others, he wants other transgressors to learn from his experience so that other transgressors might turn to God, might return to God. And it's important that we, we actually get this right because there might be a temptation for some of us to misunderstand this, right? You know, the, the idea that only, only those Christians who have, you know, the rock star conversion experience, right? The, the guy who, oh, I, I had such a drug problem and I had this problem and, you know, uh, and I was the worst sinner, just whatever sins you think are the worst sins. Uh, those are the ones that, that, the sins that I was wallowing in. And so now I'm able by God's grace to let you know how good God is, right? And so sometimes we have this silly idea that only those who have this wonderful, fantastic road of Damascus conversion story are, are able to testify of God's goodness. But that's wrong. Okay, let me put it to this way. Uh, how many of you have ever sinned? Okay, how many of you have repented of your sin? Okay, how many of you have experienced God's forgiveness in your life? Okay, David's point is, if you've experienced God's forgiveness, you are qualified to share with others what God has done in your life. David, David delights in this, right? The next step, he begins with the word then, after God has forgiven me, after he's restored the joy of the Lord to me, after he has renewed me by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want others to know what God has done for me. Okay? I, I wonder if, if I were to ask you this morning, what, what has God done in your life this week? What is God doing in your life these, these past few months? Where is God leading you? How is God renewing you? Where is God working in your life in a powerful way? Right? And, and we should 
having experienced the forgiveness of God in our life, we, we, should, we should be compelled to share of God's goodness with others. David, David um, it, it wants to teach transgressors um, the ways of the Lord. You think of uh, all of the apostles, all 12 of them minus Judas, right? Uh, they, they didn't have this road to Damascus experience. The Lord simply called them one day as they were fishing, come follow me. And they followed Jesus. And they were faithful disciples of Jesus. Jesus was with them all day long for three years. Uh, and, and Jesus, um, they, they sinned against Jesus and Jesus forgave them and and Jesus used them uh, these trophies of grace God Jesus used them to proclaim the gospel and and you can even think of their sin that Jesus speaks of at the last supper Jesus says all of you will deny me you will all flee from me you will all run away from me you will all uh, forsake me and of course, Peter is like, no, those losers might, but not me, right? I, I, I would never, ever do that. And of course, they all sin. They all fall away. They all betray Jesus. They all repent. They all are forgiven. They all experience the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is restored. And what did they spend the rest of their lives doing? teaching transgressors the way of God. They wanted more than anything else for their disciples to experience the grace of forgiveness that they themselves experienced. And so in the first place, repentance compels us to testify of God's grace to others. John Piper puts it this way. John Piper says, David is not content to be forgiven. He is not content to be clean. He is not content to be elect. He is not content to have a right spirit. He is not content to be joyful in God by himself. No, David is not content until his broken life serves for the healing of others. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. If God has forgiven you your sins, your great desire, brothers and sisters, your great desire will be to see others forgiven of their sins, walking in the forgiveness of sins, walking in restored joy. But there's more uh, to be said. In verses 14 through 17, David reminds us that, that, re- that re- repentance compels me to worship God from a true heart, a broken heart, a faith-filled heart. It's uh, interesting how David expresses himself here. On the one hand, he says in verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. 
You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And, and if you know anything about the sacrificial system in Leviticus 1 through 7, you know that God actually delights in sacrifice. Right? God, God actually commands sacrifice. God commands the ascension offering. That's the whole burnt offering. God says that when you sin, you need to offer the sacrifice to take care of your sin for there to be atonement of your sin. So, but, but now David says, but you don't delight in any of this. But what does God delight in? David says, well, you delight in the sacrifice of a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So what, what David is getting at here is in the Old Testament, and, and we struggle with the same thing today, right? Like, you can go through the motions without a heartfelt love for God. Right? It would be entirely possible in the Old Testament to go to the temple to offer the sacrifice, but your heart is far from me, God says. Right? You can show up at church Sunday morning and you can kneel with the entire congregation and confess your sin. You can read the prayer with everyone, but your heart is far from me. You can listen or appear to listen to the sermon, furiously moving your hand, looking like you're taking notes, hanging on to every word. But your heart is far from me. You can come to the Lord's table and you can eat the bread and drink the wine. You can go through the motion, but your heart is far from me. And so David here understands that he can do the right things. He can offer the sacrifice. But if he doesn't offer the sacrifice from a faith-filled heart, the sacrifice accomplishes nothing. God hates those sacrifices that are made from a hard heart, from a heart of stone. You do not delight in those sacrifices. You want a sacrifice from a broken heart. Right? And this is why in verse 19 we read, then you will delight in right sacrifices. You will delight in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. So David understands that repentance must come from a uh, a heart full of faith, a faith-filled heart, and it compels us to worship. Repentance compels us to worship God from this heart, this faith-filled heart. So David continues in verse 14, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. My mouth will declare your praise. And of course, this too occurs in the context of community. Worship is a corporate act. Uh, in worship, we sing together. In worship, we proclaim the glories of God's grace together. If we have repented of our sin, people will see in us a desire to worship from the heart, a desire to worship God joyfully and with thanksgiving. And that leads us to the third and last point. Uh, which is also corporate uh, in nature. 
right? That all three of them are, are corporate in nature. Uh, repentance compels me to testify of God's grace to others. God's uh, repentance compels me from the heart to worship with others. And then thirdly, uh, repentance compels me to pray for and be concerned for the spiritual well-being of other believers. Notice what David says in verse 18. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Now, why does David want God to do good to Zion? Why does David want God to build up the walls of Jerusalem? Right? I mean, this is David's sin. And so now, why is David suddenly concerned about Zion? Why is he concerned about Jerusalem? Why is he praying that God would protect uh, Zion, do good to Zion? Well, the answer, of course, is that David understands that his sin is never simply a private matter. David understands that his personal sin has repercussions for the whole body, right? The idea that my sin only hurts me because it's my sin, it's my private sin, has no biblical roots whatsoever, right? Whenever I sin, wherever I sin, however I sin, in the privacy of my home, in the privacy of my own bedroom, Wherever I sin, there will be consequences to the larger body, right? And, and we need to understand this. Uh, there, it might not be a straight line, right, where sometimes we think, well, if I sin in this particular way, I can trace out the implications of how it hurts everyone else. It, it may not be that simple, but the reality is that our sin always reverberates through the body, the consequences reverberate through the body. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, Paul says in Galatians. Or think of this example in First Chronicles 21, where David wants to number the military men. He takes a census of the military, right? He wants to know how strong his armies are. He wants to know how big his military machine is. And so he summons his general Job, Joab to, to take a census. Joab says, no, 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 don't do this. This is bad. This is really bad. And David overrules him, and they take a census, and David um, realizes that his army is a, a mighty war machine, and he realizes what he has done. But here's the point. Do you remember what the punishment was for David's sin? Do you remember how... David's sin, David's personal sin, had repercussions for the whole nation. What was the punishment for his sin? Anyone remember? 70,000 men were put to death by the Lord. 70,000 men died. The consequence of David's sin was felt throughout the land. And so David prays here, Lord, 
Do good to Zion. Do not let Zion be punished or destroyed because of my sin. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Protect my people from my sin. Do not allow my sin to have consequences in my church. Okay? There have been times in my ministry where I have been tempted by particular sins and I have thought to myself, if I give in to this particular temptation, if I sin in this way, it could very well cause one of these little ones to stumble and fall away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I were to do that, it would be far better for me to have a millstone fastened around my neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea than to face the righteous wrath of God as my judge. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that our sin has consequences for others. It's not simply a private matter. And so when David repents, he, he cries out to the Lord on behalf of his people, do good to Zion, protect Zion, build up the walls of Jerusalem, may Jerusalem be a city that confesses sin, that repents of sin, that forgives sin, where sin is, is addressed at the very root before it ripens and blossoms into something horrible and horrific and consumes and devours us all. When was the last time when you repented of your sin, that you prayed for the protection of Zion, that you prayed for the protection of the saints at Christ Covenant Church, Lord, forgive me for my sin and protect Christ Covenant Church, protect the saints from the consequences of my evil wicked ways. David knew that his sin could destroy a nation. And we must know that even our secret and respectable social sins can destroy this very body. And so when we repent, we, not simply re we don't simply repent of our sin, but we pray for God's mercy and grace for the whole body. Protect these saints. Protect this body from the consequences of my sin. And so here in this chapter in Psalm 51, we learn from King David, from his own example of what it means to repent of sin. By God's grace, we must know our sins. The transgressions that are the fruit of our iniquity we must know our sins, that they are ever before us. 
We must know our sins, that they are against God and only God. And by God's grace, we plead for mercy. Blot out my transgression. Purge me with hyssop. Make me whiter than snow. By God's grace, we cry out for renewal. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. By God's grace, we cry out for communion with God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and take not your spirit from me. By God's grace, we bear witness to the grace of God in our lives. I will teach transgressors. And by God's grace... We worship the Lord with the fullness of our being. Our tongues will sing of, of God's praise. And by God's grace, we pray with and for one another, for the whole body. Do good to Zion, O Lord. Protect her, make her walls strong that she would not suffer because of my sin. Mm -hmm.